You may want to go ahead and make sure the music is completely stopped so it doesn't get on any recordings or anything. But Lord, we thank you for tonight. Y'all please agree with me because I want to make sure this is prayed over. Lord, we come in agreement regarding your word tonight. And Lord, we know your word is extremely important. We need the word of the Lord. So Father, we come into agreement tonight and ask you, Lord, that you would anoint me and come speak through me tonight the word of the Lord, everything that you want spoken. And Father, I ask you that there'll be a mighty anointing that the, the glory of the Lord would be strong and that your precious Holy Spirit, Lord, would really just kind of brood over all those that are going to be listening to this live or whether they're hearing this through the internet, however they're hearing it. But Lord, that there would be uh, the anointing and that the glory presence of the Lord would fill where people are and that your Holy Spirit would help us to get captivated in a good way and locked in to what you're speaking and Lord, that we would be able to give you our best ear, our full attention, and our focus. Lord, the word will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, that we would, our minds and our hearts, Lord, would be good fertile soil for what you're speaking. Lord, our eyes and ears would be eyes and ears of the Spirit. And that as this word goes out, always will we pray that the word of the Lord, that there would be a washing of the water of the word of God. Lord, that the word will go out and there'll be um, a light of truth shining and dispelling all the darkness, the lies, the deception of the enemy and bring life and, and revelation. That your word will be a sword that cuts away what needs to go and be a mighty hammer that breaks down every stronghold of the enemy. Lord, let your word go forth in great power and accomplish what you sent it forth to do. We ask you that the winds of your Holy Spirit will carry this everywhere it's supposed to go and your holy angels watch over it. Lord, we bind the enemy that would try to hinder the word of the Lord in any way, that would try to steal the seed, that would try to cause problems. We bind the enemy now in Jesus' name. He will not have his way, but we thank you, Lord. We bless you, and we believe that your word will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do and not return void. So we thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray together and we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so once you notice on the picture, it may not be the best picture, those that have it printed, but hopefully those that are online are looking at this. These notes would be uh, very advantageous to have. But you can see there's like the blood over the doorpost, so to speak. And I have that there because in this sermon, I'm going to be dealing with the morning and evening sacrifice. And... It's about bringing your life and your family, your property under the blood. And so I'm going to deal with that. And I'm going to cover a couple different things, especially since this weekend on Monday. Um, you know, that's going to be October 31st, 2016. So on Monday, we have Halloween. And so I want to kind of cover some things about the blood and the power of the blood during these dark times. So without anything else, let's go ahead and dive into this. And I want you to notice the Hebrew, um, Korban Tamid. Korban is the sacrifice and Tamid is eternal. And the reason why it's referred to as the eternal sacrifice is because God said he wanted this to continue on throughout all generations. And we have the fullness of this now in Christ. And I think you'll see that in the sermon. 
So let me open up with this. There was a man in the Bible, in the Hebrew, his name is Pinchas, but it's Phineas. And a lot of people don't know much about Phineas because unfortunately a lot of the body of Christ really doesn't read the Old Testament. But if you read the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus and the New Testament perspective, it is full of life and it is very powerful. How many knows that God's given us both an Old and a New Testament? He's given us one Bible, all of it, and it's all relevant for us today. And so I believe the double-edged sword is the Old and the New Testament, in my opinion. All right, but Phineas had a great zeal for the Lord and his covenant. And because of that, the Lord gave him what's called um, Brit Olam, an eternal covenant. And what happened was, without getting into this too much, Phineas, he was, there was Aaron, then there was Eleazar, and then his son Phineas. So Aaron was his granddad. And there was a time when Israel began to, remember how Moab tried to attack them through witchcraft and the dark arts with Balaam and it didn't work? But we deduce from different scriptures how Balaam told Balak that if you'll send in the beautiful Moabite women, into the camp that the children of Israel be, will begin to intermarry or fornicate with them, whatever, and it'll bring the judgment of God. So even though Balaam could not directly curse Israel because they were protected, they were blessed, he was telling Balak, if you can seduce Israel to sin, then God's judgment will come, and that's how you can hinder them. All right. Well, anyway, this was going on, and, man, God got very upset. He sent a plague among the Israelites, and Phineas was so full of the zeal of God for holiness that he went into a tent and there was a man and a woman that were right there together and Phineas drove a spear through both of them and they both died and God saw the zeal and the, the passion that Phineas had for, for, God's hol for God's holiness and righteousness that God, the plague calmed down right then and God made Phineas a promise that he would have an eternal covenant, eternal priesthood covenant. And so Phineas, even to this day, when throughout the year, there's a Hebrew calendar. And on the Hebrew calendar, there's what's called a, a weekly Parsha reading where different portions of the first five books of the Bible are read. And there's a whole portion that's devoted to Phineas. And it's really amazing because... He was used so mightily, but yet few people know about him. And it's believed that that same zeal, that fiery um, anointing that was on Phineas, later showed up on um, Elijah, and then later showed up on John the Baptist. Isn't that awesome? So, so Phineas had that, that fiery um, mantle upon his life, like the spirit of Elijah, if you will. And so he was a picture and type of Jesus who would come later who we know is our great high priest remember how Jesus the Bible says zeal for his house consumed him and he he made that whip and he drove out the money changers and that's that same zeal that we saw in the life of Phineas and so Phineas kind of showed us a picture and type of Christ to come and so did Melchizedek and I'll, if I end up getting in that, I'll rabbit trail, so I got to move on. But I wanted you to see Phineas because it's going to make sense through this sermon. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Moses was of the tribe of Levi, 
and Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. And it seemed like all those that were involved in a very significant way at this time with Moses, governmentally, um, and obviously in the priesthood, the Levites, there was something real significant with that tribe of Levi. And you would read the life of Phineas, and you would think that when it was time for Moses to die, the most logical person to succeed him would have been Phineas. But yet Moses chose Joshua. And it's really interesting when you study this because some biblical scholars think there's a reason why God chose Joshua over Phineas and it's connected possibly to this morning and evening sacrifice. Let me tell you why. I wrote down the scriptures here, but if you read Numbers 27, the very last two verses of numbers 27 verse 22 and 23 the lord told moses choose joshua lay hands on him he's going to be the one so that's numbers 27 23 the last verse okay the very next verse is 28 1 and god goes right into the morning and evening sacrifice and so people, biblical scholars have kind of put this together and felt there was a connection. Here's why, and I'm going to close with this later when I come back like bookends, okay, and I close out this sermon. But I want you to notice this. Joshua was, was chosen by Moses as Moses' successor, possibly um, not Phineas, and possibly because of this reason, because he sought the Lord early and he stayed late. Remember that about Joshua? Joshua sought the Lord early and even when Moses would be done praying and would leave Joshua would linger late and it was a picture and type of the morning and evening sacrifice and Joshua would really spend time with the Lord and many, many biblical scholars feel that that has a lot to do with why God ended up choosing Joshua So let me go ahead. I'm going to give you some information. It's going to probably seem like a lot of information one time, but when I go back and explain it, it'll all make sense. So just bear with me for the next couple minutes. But now let's talk about this, Numbers 28, verse 1, and let's look at what's called the Korban Tamid, the eternal sacrifice, the morning and evening sacrifice. So the Lord said to Moses, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offerings, my food, uh, for my offerings by fire of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time You shall say to them. This is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord Two male lambs one year old without defect as a continual burnt offering every day You shall offer one lamb in the morning and the other lamb at twilight also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, a grain offering. So I want you to remember that grain offering because I highlighted that. Mixed with a fourth hand of beaten oil. And then it will be a continual burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. And then look at this. He says a drink offering. With it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out the drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight as the grain offering. And so in other words, every morning, they did this at 9 o'clock in the morning. And every evening, they did this around 3 o'clock. 
they would kill a lamb and they would be this grain offering which was like wheat grain mixed with oil and then there was a wine that was poured out every morning every evening this is very significant I personally I've only heard two preachers and I've been listening to sermons for 20 years I've only heard two preachers mention this in the Bible and, and to this day I've not heard one sermon devoted to it but in my opinion this is one of the most life-changing things God has ever shown me and it has tremendously impacted my life so just bear with me as I go through some information I'll bring it all together we know that the lamb represents what Jesus did for us at Calvary his blood remember the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost of our lives he's the door <clears throat> it is through his blood that we come into the presence of God and the grain and the wine would obviously speak of the communion table as that's what matzah is made of is that uh, you know that bread unleavened bread and then obviously the wine okay so let me just give you a few more things it's important I want everybody to hear me say this it's very important the book of James 122 says that we're not just to be hearers of the word but we're to be doers of the word and this is extremely important I've been surprised over the years not shooting this anybody I'm talking about 20 years but I've been surprised over the years of ministry at how many sermons can be preached but yet how many few are actually applied that people go home and do it and I've man I've preached sermons on prayer I've preached sermons on other things and to find out people are not praying and you're thinking man but it's important to be a hearer and a doer this sermon today can change your life but if you leave out of here and you're like hey you know that was a good sermon I got some out of it but you don't do anything that was talking about sermon it will have very little benefit in your life at all but if you'll apply it it can really change your life I want you to also think about this there's a principle in the scripture about digging a well of revival Abraham dug wells and think about digging man you guys ever have to dig deep to do something some kind of construction project or whatever around your house or whatever and my wife had me one time years ago asked me to put in this fountain for her man I had to dig and keep digging down and digging is a lot of work there's nothing fun about it amen but you just keep digging away and back in the day when you were dependent on finding water I mean people's lives really dependent on this they would keep digging and keep digging until finally they struck water and that was a big deal because out of that well would come life-giving water for them and their family and their animals or if they didn't have water to drink obviously they would die and so after Abraham dug those wells the Bible says the Philistines came and stopped them up how many knows the devil will try to come and stop up the wells of revival in your life but Isaac came behind him and redug the wells that his father had previously dug he redug them so there's a principle in the scripture about persistent heartfelt continued prayers of the righteous you keep plowing you keep digging and as you keep doing this consistently that you will eventually dig a well of revival and there'll be a flow of the Spirit of God but you've got to be consistent and persistent in prayer 
Uh, it reminds me of the scripture where it says we're to pray and not give up. You've got to keep pressing in. And what I've learned is that because of doing this for so long, now for many, many years, of the morning and evening sacrifice, of having a time that I pray in the morning, a time I pray in the evening, that I've been doing that now for so long that as the evening time starts rolling about, I won't even be thinking about anything because maybe I'm with Sandy, maybe we're watching something on TV or something like that, but I'll feel the presence of God just begin to descend on me and I'll realize, oh, it's getting late in the evening, it's about time for me to pray. Because that's how long I've been doing it, that it's dug a well, and my wife will tell you. But you gotta be persistent. The thing I've noticed in a lot of Christians' lives is, is that they're very up and down spiritually. I've seen people over the years that'll be in church on fire for God for three weeks and out for nine. They're just up and down. It's like a roller coaster. Those type of people really struggle. All right, so let me give you a little bit more information, and then I'm going to explain all this. So the outer court, many of you guys know you're familiar with the tabernacle because I've preached on it so much, okay? Because I have a love for the presence of God. That's the most important thing to me is his presence in my home and in the ministry. That's by far the most important. And that's why I love the tabernacle because now in the New Testament, we're supposed to be a living tabernacle, the Holy Spirit, and the tabernacling of God's presence should be in our midst. Anyway, so as you went into the tabernacle, you have to picture this thing is about the size of a football field. And it had a large white linen fence that went all the way around it like a football field picture having a big white fence around it and on the east side it had one gate that you could come in and in that that gate it had interwoven colors in the cloth of blue purple scarlet and white it was really beautiful but you had to come in that gate and in that outer court it was lit by natural sunlight they had that bronze altar where they would kill the animals and burn them and they had a big bronze bowl, a laver, where they'd wash their hands and feet. And this was in the outer court. And people would bring their animals in there for, for their sin. They would bring their animals in there for a burnt offering to the Lord just to worship him. And, you know, they would bring to that place like their first fruits offering. They would bring, um, you know, different types of, of offering to the Lord according to the law and so the priests were there to receive that and in that outer court that bronze altar the lord supernaturally lit that thing on fire in the days of moses and he told them do not ever let this fire go out and so every morning the priest had to come in and that bronze altar was large and it had a grate there where the animal would lay and underneath that grate, there was the wood, and it was burning. And then down beneath that, there was like another grate that all the ashes would fall. And there was a pan down there that would catch all these ashes. So you're looking at burnt up wood, burnt up animals, burnt up blood, all of that. Throughout the day would be burned up. And those ashes would ashes settle down in that pan down there. And it was responsibility of the priest early on. They had to go in there and they had to pull out that tray of ashes and take it outside the tabernacle. They had a place they would dump it. And some believe it was like a river that flowed into the Dead Sea or maybe they buried it. But they had to dump out those ashes. 
and it and that was the first thing and this is really important they would go in there and they would start they had bronze utensils they would start stoking the coals they would put fresh wood they would get the fire going really strong again for that day and that's what they had to do that's the first thing they had to prepare that place and it is very important that we as christians deal with the ashes of yesterday because there's a lot of things i've seen a lot of christians that live in condemnation about the junk of yesterday or something happens that really wounded and damaged them in their past and they never got over it and you know if i was to sit here and my wife and, and my parents and people that know me know some a lot of things probably a lot of you guys don't know but if i was to sit here right now and start thinking about all the people that's done me wrong in the ministry it would not take me long until i was depressed until i was aggravated and until i'm dealing now with forgiveness issues again I don't do that the Apostle Paul said we have to forget what's behind and press on toward the mark of the high calling we all have to learn to do this because everybody in Christianity has a sinful past of some kind and everybody after they've accepted Jesus has done things they wish they wouldn't have done and that's why the Bible says that if we go before the Lord and we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen to some other scriptures. The Lord says, I'll separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. I'll cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. So God forgets it and God forgives us and he washes it away. He wants us to learn how to forgive ourselves and let the thing go. And not live in it. How many people, they keep you know wallowing around in the ashes of stuff that god is trying to tell them you need to forgive yourself you need to believe me that i've forgiven you and you need to move on from this but they sit around and they think god can never use me i'm such an evil person and i'm gonna tell you something there's a real spiritual warfare about this because the bible talks about the devil being a liar and it talks about there's no condemnation for those that are in christ right let, let me give you an example so we live in a region i don't necessarily know the details all over this nation around the world about spiritual climates but here in dallas the spiritual stronghold is religious witchcraft you're dealing with the witchcraft aspect you're dealing with like jezebel you're dealing with ungodly control it's just weird and then you're dealing with religion so let me give you an example of how this thing attacks christians the witchcraft aspect will sit there and sting people will shoot thoughts in their mind will shoot um, feelings into their emotions you remember Paul talked about the fiery darts of the enemy it'll sting people with thoughts and images and feelings that do not originate inside of them it's being attacked it's being impressed upon their mind maybe real critical thoughts or maybe um, unforgiving and bitter thoughts or maybe lustful thoughts or whatever fearful things it's it's shooting these things into people's mind this is the witchcraft aspect then re the religious aspect will come right behind that and say if you were really a woman of God or a man of God you wouldn't be thinking that way and the whole time you didn't even do anything 
this stuff's being impressed into your mind from the outside. Is anybody seeing what I'm talking about? And once you start realizing that you have authority over these things, the enemy will do that. He'll bring people into condemnation. He'll sit there and shoot thoughts into their mind that they don't want there. And they'll renew their mind. And they'll say, God, forgive me. And then some other voice behind that's going, if you were really a man of God or what, you wouldn't be thinking that. You wouldn't be feeling It's like, I didn't think that or feel that in the first place. Something shot that dart in my mind, and I rebuked that. And you know what? I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You're not going to make me feel bad for something you're trying to do to me. And you start getting angry and binding up the enemy and rebuke them. But how many people are having some kind of a voice tell them, look at what you did a year ago. God can never use you. That's a lie from the devil. And you've got to bring that thing. You've got to take authority over the enemy. I bind you in Jesus' name. I bind this lying spirit. You are not going to torment me like that. And then quote the scripture like Jesus said, it is written, when I've confessed my sin, God has forgiven me and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. You are not going to hover over me and put me in some kind of condemnation. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. And I am now the righteousness of God in Christ, and you're going to get out of here in Jesus' name. And you stop putting up with these little games that they're playing. They're trying to distract you. And many times when you're on the verge, please remember this, many times when you're on the verge of some of the greatest answer prayers and the greatest breakthroughs of your life, all kinds of that stuff will start stirring up against you. And try, they'll, they'll try to put thoughts in your mind about people that's wronged you and they're trying to get you to get distracted trying to get you into some kind of an unforgiveness. And then there's another voice on the other side over here condemning you because supposedly you hadn't forgiven that person it's like wait a second i have forgiven him. this is all a big game you're trying to play with my mind i bind you out of here in jesus name i feel like i'm exposing something if people hear me it's to help you as the enemy tries to do this i'll tell you the enemy traffics in darkness and once you start shining a light on him it's like all those little roaches that the light hits and they'll scurry and once you start shining a light the enemy's going to start running and so tonight I'm trying to show you, you really need to get beyond some things, the ashes of yesterday. Let God burn it up in his holy fire and let it be dumped somewhere and that you move on now. All right, then also the lamb, we know that it's through the blood of the lamb that we come in to God's presence. The bread and wine speaks of communion. Also from this bronze altar where that wood is burning, the priest had to get a hot coal. You have some kind of bronze tongs or something, reach in there, get a hot coal, put it in a bowl. They had to take that into the holy place, which I'll explain here in a moment. But let me tell you something about this. The morning and the evening, there was blood that was shed. There was blood that was being applied. It is one of the most important things that you can possibly do is that every single day, that you are bringing you and your family fresh under the blood of the lamb. I'm telling you, it's vitally important. The blood of Jesus being applied to our lives daily, over our family, over our home, the enemy knows that the blood, it's a no trespassing sign where he sees that blood. Then also, the priest would go into the holy place. I'm gonna explain all this in just a second. The holy place. 
This is where the communion table was, where the lamp stand was on the left, and then that um, golden altar of incense. So now let me explain it all and walk you through it. So everybody look this way, get off your notes. Now I'm going to really make it simple. So every day the priests would come in. They would go into the tabernacle or later the temple area. There was that bronze altar. Like, all right, we got to keep this fire going. They take the ashes out. Somebody would go dump them. They put fresh wood, stir that up, get the fire going. And they realized that, look, we've got to kill a lamb every morning, every evening. So now we're dealing with the morning. They would take that one-year-old lamb without defect, slit the throat. The blood would be there. They'd apply the blood. And they were coming through the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb was cleansing their sins. The blood of the lamb was being applied to their lives. And they would take that lamb. It was a burnt offering. They cut it up, put it on the altar, and it would burn completely up. And then they would take some grain mixed with oil. And they'd put that on there and burn it. And they would take some wine, and they would pour that out. They did this every day. The priest now... They've come through the blood, so now the blood has washed and made them holy. So now they would go up to the laver. They always had to wash their hands and feet with the washing of the water, which represents the washing of the water, the word. They'd wash their hands, the works of their hands. They'd wash their feet, their daily walk. And they would take that hot coal, and they would take some incense, and now they would go into the holy place. So now they were leaving natural sunlight, and they were going into the tent. And as they would go in on the right... There was that table of showbread where there was these flat cakes of matzah bread and a pitcher of wine, probably some other utensils. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but the, this bread was made for the priest to eat. If you remember the story of David, where David's mighty men were exhausted and they went to the priest at Nob and the priest gave them the consecrated bread. This is what they took. They took those 12 loaves and let them eat it. And that bread gave them strength for the battle. How many of you guys know that the communion table will give you strength for the battle? And it doesn't say this specifically, but the bread and the wine was there for the priest. So there would have been nothing unscriptural. I'm sure that sometimes those priests would break off a piece of that bread and have some of that. And it was a picture and type of the communion that we take today. But also, once a week, they had to take the old bread and the old wine out and put new, which is also a picture and type of us coming together once a week and us taking communion together. So they would go there. Then they would go to the lampstand, this beautiful menorah. And that fire on that menorah had to be kept going all the time, but it was that center shaft, that centerpiece, it was called the ner tamid, the eternal light. That was what was kept burning. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so Jesus is that centerpiece of that menorah. And all those other branches went into him. And that middle branch is called the shamas, called the servant branch. And that fire that was burning in that middle one, they would use that fire to light the other ones. Isn't it a beautiful picture of Jesus? Jesus is the one that sets us on fire. But they had to keep that thing burning all the time. So every morning and every evening, but every morning they'd go in and they'd have to take out the old wicks. So picture these little cups of oil and maybe some old linen garment that one of the Levites had worn. It got so much blood and soot on it, different things that they had to discard it. 
so the priests maybe took that and they would rip it and they would make wicks out of it you know they'd roll it up and they put oil and they'd put that wick down in there but every morning they had to make sure that middle one stayed burning trim trim the wick make sure the wick was fresh make sure it had plenty of oil and then from that one they would make sure all the other six were burning so there were seven that were lit and they were going and they would visit that lampstand that lampstand represents the light of revelation the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit and so now they would make their way toward that veil toward the Holy of Holies they're going toward God and there was that golden altar there probably stood around waist high maybe a little bit higher and it had a, a golden bowl in the middle and had a little a horn on each corner and he would take that hot coal with a tongue and he would put that there in that bowl and he would take some incense that he brought in with him and he would begin to sprinkle that incense on that hot coal and that incense would begin to burn and it would begin to fill that holy place and he would keep doing that and that holy place was just full of that smell that incense and that that sweet fragrance and that that the, that smoky look and he was sitting in that atmosphere and he would begin to worship and pray and the incense was made of four parts it represents our praise our worship our prayer and our intercession so every morning he would do this and every evening they did this every single day they would come in they had to kill the lamb the blood washed their sins they had to come through the blood they'd have the grain and the wine which represented communion they'd wash their hands and feet they'd go in check the table check the lampstand they'd burn the incense every day morning and evening and what I have felt the Lord spoke to me was years ago when Sandy and I first got married there was a lot of spiritual warfare still surrounding Sandy's life because of her testimony and God had led me to, to help her and God had prepared me before that anyway but there was like a what we use a, as a deliverance questionnaire and so we went through it together and just shut every door to the enemy and God really sealed her off and, and set her free from a lot of the spiritual warfare and it was very powerful and God did a powerful work in that he really did so that was like the deliverance and many people in here have gone through the deliverance questionnaire you know what I'm talking about and let me tell you I'll come back to you in a moment but that's really important well after that God began to really speak to me about the importance of deeply consecrating our lives unto God I'm not just talking about being saved here I believe that you're saved you're on your way to heaven and all of that I understand that but the Apostle Paul said that there are some vessels that are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Some have really cleansed their life and some haven't. You know what I'm talking about. It's in the scriptures. And I, and I really began, God began to deal with me about like deeply consecrating your life unto him. A deep consecration. Letting God go deep in your life and begin to deeply purge out. And so as I began to study this and apply this to my life and my family, um, we began to um, really take communion together. I began to pray over I anointed Sandy really prayed over her and I felt about the power of water immersion I knew from the scriptures it was not just some once-in-a-lifetime thing I knew there was more to it than that anybody that reads the Bible can see that and so I knew there was something powerful about it and so I immersed her and I prayed and I'm gonna tell you something God began to 
deepen our relationship with him and his presence began to increase then i'll get into some of this here in a moment but god did a powerful work and one of the things god taught me during that time was he wanted me to have a time of prayer in the morning and the evening so just follow me for a moment as i kind of bring this home how does this apply to us as christians today well god began to speak to me and i and as i began to study this out i understood that the hebrew mindset that the evening time when the sun was going down that was a closing of one day but the birth of the next day and so this was the turn of the day was in the evening so i began to understand that when we were praying in the evening this was actually the last prayer of one day but it was also the first prayer of the next and just follow me everybody lock into what i'm saying this changed my life and so i began to feel led to do that i'm just telling you what i felt led to do i felt the lord tell me he wanted me to begin to pray in the evening time over our home and so i wanted to because i saw the pattern here i wanted to take the lord's supper i don't feel like you have to do that um, you can apply the blood by faith but i felt i wanted to do this so i began to take the lord's supper and i'd really pray and i took time you know lord if there's anything just forgive me for anything and i make sure i forgive others and i would take the lord's supper and i would take some of that fruit of the vine and i would step outside this every night and i would take some of that and i stood on my porch and i pour some of that out on the ground i say lord i apply the blood of jesus over this property right now and i'm gonna tell you something as i kept doing that day after day i felt the glory of god begin to descend on that property strong well y'all feel here i'm telling you and I apply the blood and sometimes when we were going into different times like with for example Halloween coming up in a few days I might take some of that juice on my finger and there's like a you know like a brick around your door and I would apply some of that over the doorway of my home and I say Lord I bring this home and this family under the blood of Jesus and I'd really take time with the blood I understood the blood of the lamb is so important and as I did that I would pray, Lord, if there's anything on this property not a Christ's kingdom, I bind it, it goes now. I break everything off this property. This is holy ground. It's off limits to the devil. This ground is under the blood of Jesus. And I would do that every night. And I would lift up my hands like a priest. And I would walk through that home and I'd speak a blessing, something like just like this. The Lord bless this home and property. Keep and protect you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious and you. Lift up his countenance upon you and establish you in his shalom, his manifest presence. I bless you that you're going to be a place of sweet rest and pleasant dreams in the glory of the Lord. I bless you that there's an open heaven above you and there's a hedge of protection and a wall of fire around you. But the Bible says a secret place, no plague, claiming, nor disaster will come near us, nor our dwelling. I bless you, your place of a rich, powerful prayer life and fellowship with the Holy Spirit and revelation from the Lord. I bless you that you're a place of rare abundance and durable riches. But the Bible says a good man will have wealth and riches in his home and his children are mighty in the earth. I bless you that you're a place of healing and health. But the Bible says, I'll bless your food and drink and remove sickness out of your midst if you worship me only. And I bless you to be a place where relationships are peaceful and where people really love and enjoy each other. You're a sanctuary of rest, renewal, refreshing, a haven of the Lord. Shalom, his presence and power where joy and laughter is in you. I bless you in Jesus' name. And as I would do that, I'm telling you, every night as I would do that, I felt the glory of God just start thickening in that home. And this didn't take me very long because I love the shofar and because I have one. Um, I always enjoyed playing that 
just real quickly, I blast the shofar and say, Lord, purge the atmosphere. And anybody knows anything about the shofar, you know that, man, you talk about shifting the atmosphere. A shofar will shift the atmosphere. And so then I go up. I do this every night. And this, to me, was the first prayer of the day. And I go up, and Sandy and I, and we would, um, now we'd pray together. And this was important. And I would anoint her, you know, anoint myself, maybe anoint the room. But we would come together, and she would speak a blessing over me. And this is important. She would speak a blessing over me. And we would pray together. And here's what I did for those that maybe want to jot down just these little tidbits. But I would always enter in talking about the blood. Lord, I thank you that me and my family are washed and covered in the blood of the Lamb. We are under the blood. We're redeemed by the blood. I thank you for the blood that's over this property. And we come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood. And then I would, you know, thank him. Enter in with thanksgiving and praise. I thank you, Lord, for our home. I thank you for us having good steady jobs and lord we have clothes to wear seriously there's people out there that don't i thank you lord that we have good food to eat there's people out there going hungry lord i thank you for my family i thank you and we would just thank him and, I, and i'd worship him and, and um as we did this i would feel the presence of god begin to come in that room really strong and we would do this we and here's what i prayed if y'all want to you know little notes or something but i would pray there's a Hebrew blessing called the Hamapil, and this is kind of my version of it. But it's blessed to you, Lord of God, Keniverse, who, um, listen to this, causes our eyes to be sleepy, causes our eyelids to close. You're the God of those who came before us. Help us lie down and rise up in your shalom and manifest presence. While we sleep, may we not be disturbed by negative things, fearful things, negative things that would try to come in the night, but rather our sleep bring both rest and insight. Bless you, Lord of God, who illuminates the whole world in your glorious ways. And I began to take, and I kind of tweaked that for us, okay? It's not exactly as it goes, but I would take that, and I, and I saw how God grants sleep to those he loves. And I would pray that, that we'd have good sleep, that we will lie down and rise up in your shalom and in your presence, and um, that we'd have rest and insight, that God would give us dreams. How many knows God will give you God dreams in the night? And I really spent some time, and I do this to this day. I tell you, I always tell everybody, it's the most important part. And we'd pray about the atmosphere. Okay, if you're jotting things down, this is the main thing. I always pray, Lord, let the heavens be open. Let your glory come. And I'd really pray for the atmosphere. Lord, let the glory of God settle this home. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Let your presence come in here. And I always have something anointed playing. And I recommend that if you have a computer or something, you know, play maybe our services in your home. And ask God to let the glory that's in these church services come into your home. There's something powerful there. Anyway, I'd always have something playing on the computer or something, but that's in another room. But we were praying. I said, Lord, let us be anointed tonight. As we sleep, let us soak in your glory. Let us be filled with your spirit. Lord, allow your Holy Spirit and your holy angels, because the Bible says angels are ministering spirits sent to minister us as heirs of salvation throughout the night to anoint us and, and help sanctify, heal, and deliver us that we're going to wake up out of this refreshed and empowered for the next day. We're going to, you know, here's the mindset I had. You know, we pray for people here, and you may fall under the power. And maybe you don't, but you go and lay down somewhere, soak for a little bit or something in God's presence. And I've had people tell me, they're joking around, oh, I'll be so awesome. Why don't we just sleep here, you know, and sleep in the glory? 
And that, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you can do that at home. You really can. And that was my mindset was that the same thing God's doing here, that we would be receiving of that as we slept. And so I was asking the Lord throughout the night that we would just soak in his glory. And let me tell you something. At first, you know, it, you have to keep praying. Remember digging a well of revival? But we kept praying, and over time, it got to where the glory of God was so strong. And there, were, there was a few times I had to ask the Lord to help me go to sleep because the glory of God was so strong that it was a, a little bit of a distraction, you know. But the glory of God will be in your home and will rest over you as you sleep at night. And I was reminded of the scripture where Samuel, little Samuel, which I learned something this year I didn't know, but he did have some Levitical blood apparently on his father's side. But anyways, little Samuel, that Eli allowed him to sleep in the Holy of Holies by the ark. That broke so many rules, right? <laughs> but God allowed it. And little Samuel as a little boy was sleeping in that glory. And it was in that glory where little Samuel started hearing the voice of God. Remember that? God said, Samuel. And he would hear it and he'd get up and go in there to Eli. Did you call for me? Eli said, like, no, I didn't. After it happened a couple times, Eli was like, okay, you're in there with the ark. Something's talking to you. Next time, next time you hear the voice of God, ask him, speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And God gave Samuel prophecy. But it was in that glory, as Samuel would sleep at night in that glory, that God developed him to be a mighty man of God. And how many know Samuel turned out to be a mighty man of God? He anointed King David, and uh, he was an awesome man of God. So that was some things God began to do. And as I, I noticed as I would wake up the next morning, coming out of that, you feel so refreshed. I mean, you feel like you've been literally at church all night soaking in the glory, you know. And I will come out of that and go now into the morning sacrifice. And this was a time, again, where you can come through the blood if you, if you want to based on this pattern, if you want to take the Lord's Supper. And once again, though, I would apply the blood over my property and I would pray, I'd seek, speak a blessing, but I would just spend time worshiping and praying. And as a family, I'd always taught my family I'm talking the whole time, okay? I would talk to them about, you know, look, in the mornings, we each need to have our own personal prayer life. And I teach them how to pray. And so, you know, this whole time, it'd be like sometime in the morning, it's like, all right, it's prayer time. Let's all go split up, you know? And so seriously, Brianna grew up that way, having that. And so when she got older and got out on her own, I mean, it's just, it's a normal culture in our family that you make time to pray sometime with the Lord in the morning. And so even to this day, we'll have a, a day that we rest on Sunday. And, you know, in the morning time, it's like, all right, well, we got to go have a prayer time. It's just the way it is. But anyway, we would have time with the Lord and, and would split off. And we would pray, just worship and pray and spend time with him. And that's the time to go through your prayer list, okay? And so every morning, every evening, let me show you something. God really began to show me how powerful this was. And it changed the atmosphere in our home tremendously and let me show you in the bible now israel kept doing this every day every morning every evening they would apply the blood the priests were going in they were worshiping and praying the morning and evening sacrifice every day nine in the morning three in the afternoon 
And you know, you do something like this over and over and over, it's digging a well of revival. And there's something, you guys that know what I'm talking about with chronos time in the Bible, the Greek word chronos, and then the Greek word kairos. Chronos time is like chronological time. It's where you're just doing the same thing over and over. Okay, it's like a clock. It's just going, a clock is just going in a circle. Does the same thing every day. That's chronos time. But kairos time is when it's God's moment to do something. And something will happen. And so the children of Israel, the priesthood, every day, chronos time, every day, they're killing the lamb in the morning, the blood's being applied, they're going in, they're worshiping and praying around nine o'clock every morning they're doing this, it's very powerful. And then three in the afternoon they're doing it. And so I want you to notice something, this is amazing to me. So Kronos time, but here's points in time when it was like a Kairos moment where God moved with great power. Watch this, Peter stood up and preached around the time of the morning sacrifice. And it was at that time, around nine in the morning, the priests were in their doing this, it was at that timing that 3,000 people got saved. In 1 Kings 18, 36 through 38, the fire of God fell. You remember Elijah? Elijah called the prophets of Baal. Remember all this? They dumped the water over the sacrifice. He was making fun of them. Maybe your God's asleep, whatever. And he prays. And look at this, fire from God came out of heaven like a lightning bolt, struck the burnt offering when Elijah prayed. People fell on their face before God. The prophets of Baal were killed. All of this happened right around the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel 9, 20 through 21, when Daniel prayed and the angel came, it was around the time of the evening sacrifice that the angel came. These things are specifically said in the Bible for a reason. How many knows when the Bible makes it a point to tell you? It's around the time of the evening sacrifice this actually happened. There's a reason that's in the Bible. When you keep doing something over and over and the power of the blood is being applied. And think about this. We're dealing here by and large with something that was an Old Testament pattern. Imagine now we have the fullness in Christ, the blood of Christ available to us now. All right, Luke 1, 5 through 11, Zechariah was serving the Lord, burning incense. Remember Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad? He's, this is what's going on. He's in there burning the incense, and the angel appears to Zechariah and tells him, you're going to have a son, John the Baptist. That happened during the morning sacrifice, or the evening sacrifice. In Acts 10, 1 through 4, Cornelius had the angel appear to him and said your prayers and alms to the poor have gone up before God as a memorial offering now send for Peter and Peter came and remember he preached and the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his whole household the same way that happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and the people that were with Peter were Jewish people and they were shocked that God fell like that on the Gentiles but the angel appeared to Cornelius what does the Bible say? around the time of the evening sacrifice. In Acts 3, 1, the crippled man was healed around the time of the evening sacrifice. So what I'm trying to say is, if y'all can hear me with this, if you'll start doing this every morning 
and you'll start doing this every night, that you'll bring your family under the blood and you'll pray. You'll worship and pray like the pattern is there. The pattern. The pattern is the blood of the lamb. The pattern is if you want to take communion that's available. But the pattern is what? That praise and worship, prayer and intercession, that incense. That's the pattern. If you'll do that, don't be surprised if you don't start seeing some very powerful supernatural events that happen during those times because you're digging a well of revival. You guys know this. As we've prayed in River of Life, you know, we have Tuesday night prayer. There was times that it was a challenge. You feel like you're plowing through. But as we kept digging and kept plowing, over the years, the heavens have thinned out and it's become much more easy to pray and the glory of God just seems to be waiting on us now. This changed my life. And I'm going to tell you something too. It's not my notes, but there's something about having a place, a secret place that you spend with God. You guys have seen that movie War Room. That lady had a room. I'm going to tell you, there's something about that where you keep meeting with God there every day. You keep meeting with God there. There's something about that place where there'll be like a special anointing, a special presence of God there. All right, so now let me shift gears, but I want to say this as I'm going to be kind of moving into something. Three things I noticed that shift the atmosphere in our home the most. Number one was kind of what I shared with you, the communion, the worship and prayer, the speaking blessings. When I began to do that, I noticed the atmosphere in our home became much more of the glory. So that's number one. Number two, when my wife and I started praying together before we went to bed, we would bless each other. We would really pray together, and we didn't rush through it. We spent a little time, and I noticed as we started doing that, that the presence of God increased in our home. She's speaking a blessing over me. I'm speaking a blessing over her. We're coming together in unity to pray. The prayer of agreement as we agreed together for the glory to come. And then the third thing I noticed is I began to learn about the Hebrew roots is that we would have a day of rest. How many knows this isn't legalistic to have a day of rest? Come on. It's like, I don't feel like we're saved because we have a day of rest. I don't feel like we're righteous. None of that. It's just like, man, it's a gift. I get to have a day off. And just a day to spend time before the Lord and together like a Sabbath rest. I love, I love that day. I love to have time with my family just rest in the Lord. But I noticed as we did that, that something about that was special. And at the end of it, this is once a week we do this, but the whole family will come together on Sunday night. We have a time where we um, do some little worship together. I'll share a little bit out of the Bible. We'll talk about it. We take communion together. I speak a blessing over them. And I really spend some time speaking a blessing. And those that want to say, well, what can you speak? Over the men, you could speak the phrase, the Lord bless you to be as Ephraim and Manasseh. But Psalm chapter 1. And over the women, the Lord bless you to be as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And Proverbs 31. And I would speak blessings. I'd speak blessings specifically over their destiny. And Brianna is a temple intercessor like Anna in the Bible. Sandy, God's always spoke to me, a mother in Israel. And I'd bless her about you know, being wrapped in a mantle and being God's voice, etc. And we did this. And we, we came together. We take communion. I speak a blessing. 
I would anoint them. And as we did that, together as a whole family, and we had that Sabbath day, I'm just telling you, that and then also those other feast times. I mean, those, I mean, those, these feast times are fun, but they're powerful. I mean, and anyways, we started doing that in, in my my family, we had like a Passover time. We're talking about the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, and going through that once a year. As we started doing stuff like that, I noticed that the presence of God began to increase in our home radically. So those three things radically changed the atmosphere of my home. So now let me shift gears. I'm going to close out by talking about a principle called costuring, and this has to do with what's coming up with Halloween, so please give me your best ear. All right, so Numbers 3121. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle. Now I want you to picture this. The children of Israel go to war. They fight the enemy. They defeat the enemy. And now they're plundering all of their goods. So I want you to picture. They're going, they're defeating these heathen pagans that worship demon gods. And now they're getting all of their clothing and all of their goods of course, if there was some demon god idol, they would dispose of that. But they would gather all their goods and bring it back. And this is what Eliezer the priest said to these people because this was important. He was saying, this is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded Moses. Listen to this. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, the lead, all these things that are metal, everything that can stand the fire... You're to pass that through the fire to cleanse it, and it will be clean. But things that cannot stand the fire, like clothing, you're to wash it with water, and it'll be clean. And so God was teaching them that you're going amongst the heathen, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all these things. You're going to defeat them. You're going to plunder them. You're going to have all their goods. But it's important. It is extremely important that you pray over this stuff that's coming into your tent. And that you spiritually cleanse it. I tell you, man, I've got, over the years, I've, I've got so many stories. Blow your mind, creep you out, the whole works. But I'm going to share a few to make my point. But I've seen with my eyes over the years where people had stuff that was satanic and we'd be burning it and it would not burn until I took authority over it. And then it went up in a flame. I saw it. I saw the fire above it but would not consume it until I took authority. It's demonic. I've seen it. And I've also had some other experiences. Let me, let me give you an example. If something is just completely dedicated to Satan, it's totally evil. Like, for example, let's say that maybe somebody had some kind of a, a chalice, like a cup that was engraved. It was made, you know, for Satan worship. It had like a pentagram or a goat engraved in it. I mean, that's just what it is. You know, this is something that you can't just say a little prayer over and stick in your bedroom and think things are going to be okay. All right. But there are things that you can't, a lot, most things, most things you can pray over. Let me tell you a story. So my wife's family, as y'all know, were deeply entrenched in the occult. And so there was a lady, an old lady, named Miss Corral, correct? Okay. She died, and they had an estate sale. And 
I mean, you know, this was just, there were things that were bought, but there was this little hutch. Would that be the right word for it? Okay, I've seen it, but I don't even know what it is. It, it sits in her mom's bathroom, has some things on it. But this little hutch that came from this lady's house. Well, because of whatever reason, this hutch had something about it, like a spirit about it. And since they were deeply involved in the occult, they thought, well, this is great, you know. And so they start talking to the hutch and the spirit of the hutch, and it's answering them. But it becomes a divination device. And, you know, so many knocks for yes, and you'll know, put our hand out or it'll be cold for no, things like that. And it did that. And so it became a divination thing to them. But how many knows it's just a hutch? If a Christian family had bought it and prayed over the thing, it would have cleansed it, and that would have been the end of the matter. You see what I'm saying? But a lot of people are totally, completely oblivious to these type of spiritual attachments that can be there. Now, I'm going to deal with it, but I say this because if you'll just simply pray over things, it's going to be fine. I mean, we've, we've prayed over so much stuff, and it was fine after that. So, but if it is something that is evil, uh, pornographic, or witchcraft, or Freemasonry, I know my, my father, my mother found a Freemasonic ring. That she didn't even know, but it was in her jewelry box. And my dad destroyed it and got rid of it. Um, you don't want something like that in your home. Those things will act like lightning rods to bring things. You don't want witchcraft paraphernalia in your home. I'm just telling you. It is legal ground for the enemy to come in. I'll tell you a creepy story. This guy was trying to help a lady. True story. He's trying to help a lady that had come out of Satan worship. And he didn't know this, but she had a box she had never told him about, like a, you know, maybe a shoe box, probably bigger. It was closed up, but it had all of her stuff in it. It had like a black robe and pentagrams and, and candles and everything that was used in the satanic rituals and stuff. And she kept it with her in her car. And they, they were trying to help her because she gave her life to Jesus. She, I'm sure she didn't know any better, but she just simply brought stuff out of her car and stuck it in this room. And this guy, she was gone now, but this guy was in his living room and this spirit is standing in the hallway, this demonic spirit, and he's angry. He's like, in Jesus' name, get out of here. And the thing was stubborn. And finally, he says, you get out of here in the name of Jesus. And why aren't you leaving? It just kind of came out. And the spirit said, because I'm invited here because of what's in your guest room. And the guy said, well, I'll renounce whatever's in the guest room out. And it, wa it literally walked out of his home. He saw the same. He goes into the guest room, starts looking through stuff, and pulls the box out from under the bed and all that junk's in there. So he had to get rid of it. When you bring that stuff there, that stuff will come with it. Now, but things can be cleansed. Most things can be. And so let me give you one more, and then, and then we'll talk about a few things. So in Deuteronomy 21.10, there's this principle here. When you go to battle against your enemies, now remember, these are pagan, heathen people that are involved in things like sacrificing their children to the devil. They're involved in all kinds of pagan witchcraft practices. And so the Lord told them, said, listen, when you go to battle and the Lord your God delivers your enemies into your hands and you take some of them away captive 
and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you have a desire for her to take her as a wife for yourself you shall bring her to your home now listen to this shave her head trim her nails remove the old clothes of her captivity she'll remain in your house to mourn for her father and mother for a month after that you may go into her and marry her but tradition kind of brings out some other aspects here's kind of what was happening somebody would say well you know i want this person to be my wife but they had to go through this all those clothing of captivity the stuff of her past that had to be removed out and they would have to take her this isn't here but they'd have to take her before the elders see every city had some elders that would sit at the gate and they were the judges of that city and they knew the law of moses and so they would have to take this woman before those elders and those elders would ask her are you willing to renounce the gods of your fathers are you willing for our god to be your god for our bible now to be your bible are you going to convert to what we believe are you going to you know and she yes i'm willing she would agree and then now she was cleansed and from that point on as she became his wife she would be simply seen as a part of the household of israel you remember the story of ruth was kind of sort of along those lines in some ways but anyway it's important that people get cleansed from their past very few christian people i mean very few have nothing in their past and nothing in their family bloodline that's an issue how many christian people can say on my father and mother's side going up several generations we serve the lord there was no freemasonry there was no other gods that were worshipped there was no witchcraft there was no sexual immorality there was no bloodshed there was no broken vows there was nothing that would bring any type of bondage or curse or anything how many people can say that very few people and so when you come to the lord that's why we have what we call a deliverance questionnaire but it's really just seeing people cleansed of their past it's extremely important that people take the time to look through that and examine themselves and really get these things taken care of every person sandy and i've ever walked through that and prayed with has told me i can't think of anybody that hasn't told me this but they've told me i feel so different haven't they sandy will tell you i feel so light i feel so clean i feel so free I mean seriously when I say this I'm not exaggerating mental illnesses just disappeared emotional bondages just disappeared sicknesses just disappeared it was because they were taking the time to get all that um, clothing of their captivity of their past and their bloodline removed remember when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and he came out but he was all wrapped up in those grave clothes and Jesus said get those grave clothes off that boy and they got all that stuff off of him but a lot of times people come to Jesus and they're resurrected so to speak they're born again but they still have some grave clothes on them and they need to get that off and it's important and so I encourage people to deal with the things make sure that you've personally gone through your life and your ancestry and really prayed about things it's important there's a lot of freedom there but also go through your home if you haven't done this see a lot of people get saved but they don't go back and think about okay before i really gave my life to the lord or before i knew better maybe there's some things in the attic the basement 
in different dresser drawers, in a jewelry box somewhere. Maybe there's something that I have in my home that either doesn't need to be here or it needs to be prayed over. And some people have said, well, I have things that are jewelry. It's gold. It's expensive. And I have a way, I'm, I'm assuming there's a way, I have a way of like melting it down and praying over it and, and it being something completely different. Well, that's fine. Remember the children of Israel left Egypt and the, the Egyptians gave them all this stuff. You know, there is a principle about plundering Egypt. There is a principle about costuring things here where you cleanse it. But you, the point is, is that you do need to pray over it. You need to deal with it. But certain things need to be destroyed. If you've got some free Masonic apron in your house, you've, you've got some witchcraft pentagram or something, you need to destroy that stuff. And I mean destroy it and get it off your property. Get a hammer start a, a fire you need to destroy that stuff and get it off your property okay so let me close with this points of entry this is something also God dealt with me about you need to pray be careful about what's coming in and out trafficking in and out of your home if you pray over it it's going to be okay but see a lot of Christians don't that's the problem they don't pray over anything they don't really pray over their home you know, my wife and I just helped a guy and his wife. They contacted us because they were having some strange paranormal activity going on. They don't know where it came from, but it was there. They, they got a new house, and they don't know if maybe it was associated with the land or something, but it was, it was there. And they asked us, so me and my wife go, and I, I printed off, and I maybe need to add this to these notes, but we have a teaching on cleansing your home and land. It kind of walks you through it. So I sent it, I printed it off and gave it to the husband. And he was just really thankful. He was a sweet guy, you know. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So we got um, like some wooden stakes. We were going to go stake off this property. I mean, we were serious about it. And so we're going through, we're walking this property. You know, it's nighttime. And you know how it is. You have neighbors, you know, so it's nighttime. But we're walking the property, applying the blood over this property, the four corners. He's, he's writing some scriptures on this. He's driving it in the ground. This is holy ground. This is God's ground now. Satan, you have no right here. And he's, I'm walking with it. We're going around this whole thing. We marked that thing off. You're going into the home. He's going through the home, anointing the doorpost, praying over it. And, um, you know, we prayed with him. And he wanted me to blast the shofar. So I did, you know. He thought that was pretty cool. But we, we prayed over his home. And you know what? That stuff completely, totally was gone. It's never been back. The problem is a lot of people just don't pray. They don't know. But it's not talked about in their church. But I pray over doorways. And let me tell you something. Think about these doorways. What about your DVR and what about your Wi-Fi? You need to take, like the blood, by faith, the blood of Jesus. Maybe take communion, take some of that juice. You need to apply that over your DVR and your Wi-Fi. And you need to make, make sure points of entry that they're sealed off by the blood of Jesus. And you're saying, Lord, there's not going to be anything coming on this property. It's not supposed to be here. And since we've done that, we don't have problems like that. Now let me ask you this question too. What's coming in and out of your home? See, Christians pray over their food, but unfortunately, I think most Christians don't really mean it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They just say some quick little prayer they don't even mean. And they, it's just, but listen, it's important to really pray over stuff and really mean it. 
you know, nowadays you've got strange stuff like um, with the Muslims and all that. They're trying to turn animals toward the east and slit their throat, and it's a it's supposed to make it. I think it's halal or whatever, and it's supposed to make it ritually for Muslims. And a lot of meat is like that. Well, the Bible says all food can be consecrated by the word and God in prayer. So we need to pray over it. But the point is, pray over it. So every morning and evening when I'm applying the blood, I'm applying the blood over my home and everything in it, all the food in it, all the clothing and everything. I'm going to tell you something. When I was growing up, it was different as now. I don't know why, but some of these stores that I go into, even clothing department stores, there's just something weird. There's just a weird spirit. And it used to not be there years ago. I always tell my wife if she buys stuff like maybe she would get some perfume or something at Victoria's Secret or something. I tell her, we need to pray over that. There's, how many knows that there is some kind of a seducing spirit about that place? I'm not trying to be mean, but there is. Be careful about the entertainment that's trafficking in the home. You know, be careful that it's not something that's going to cause lust. It's not something like witchcraft, um, like Harry Potter. It's not something that's going to be like a slasher movie or something really grotesquely violent or fearful. Also, be careful about conversations. If you have people come into your home that are sitting around, they're gossiping, they're slandering, they're, they're doing things, it can really defile your home. Be careful about fighting and then going to bed angry. Make sure that you forgive one another and pray together and don't allow strife and going to bed angry because the Bible says don't let the sun set on your wrath. Now think about it, that scripture in light of the morning and evening sacrifice. Before you go to bed, you need to spend time really forgiving people and coming under the blood and dealing with issues because once you go to sleep and you're out of it, man, I mean, you're out of it. If something is trafficking in your home, you're asleep. And so it's important to deal with things before you go to sleep. Be careful with Jezebel and with sexual sins in order that things are in order in the home. The husband's leading, the wife is submitting, children are obeying. Don't allow things that bring bondage or addiction into your home. Get that stuff out, whether it's things like gambling or different substances that are addictive to people. Also, rebellion or dishonesty cannot be tolerated. When you have children, you've got to raise them where you're not going to tolerate dishonesty. If they're going to do something they're not supposed to do, you know, they're going to be ground or disciplined or whatever. But if they lie about it, you know, you need to deal with that too. I'm sorry to use as an example, but just my only, you know. But anyway, it's, you know, if, if Brianna did that, I mean, she lied. I mean, it was, sorry, hon. But, she, you know, it was like a grounding for the offense and a grounding for the lying. I just told her, it's just better you just straight with me. Because it's going to be a double whammy if you lie. And, it, and she never lied after that. So I'm just telling you, if you raise that way, you know, don't tolerate lying and don't tolerate rebellion. But God's looking for stability. If you'll be consistent and you'll be faithful with these things and have faith in God. The, the blood is applied by faith and you'll really make your home a place where the blood is applied and you'll keep being consistent and faithful with this. You know, the Bible says, and Jesus said, could you not tarry one hour? I believe all of us as Christians need to begin to, to have a growing in the Lord to where we can pray it may start out 15 minutes it may end up 30 minutes but eventually it's good to grow into where you can pray for an hour a day and it's not hard once you know how to pray and I deal with that in a sermon series I did on prayer but have a strong prayer life your strong prayer life produces stability do you really think that anything's going to stand a chance oppressing your home if every morning and every evening you're bringing it under the blood and you're praying over it and you're blessing it I don't think so 
The Lord warned us to watch and pray to be ready for his coming. Why? Because some people won't be ready. Jesus said the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, but in context, he was telling them, you need to pray because your flesh is weak. Your spirit man wants to do the right thing, but your flesh is weak. But if you'll pray, you'll bring that flesh under, you'll become strong. Strength comes out of your prayer life. And also, I say that your family, your lost loved ones, the lost that are out there, your family, they need your prayers. How many knows you got people that you care about that need your prayers? And so prayer is so vitally important. I hope that this helped you today. But make sure that you cleanse things in your home. Not from a fearful, don't be fearful. That's the worst thing you can be. Fear is, is an enemy. Okay, don't be fearful, but just make sure you pray over stuff with faith. God will cleanse it, and it will seal off your property. All right, so Lord, I thank you. As we're going in now to this Halloween season, Lord, help us to have time. People need to go through the home. Make sure that there's nothing in their home doesn't need to be, that they really apply the blood over their home. They really anoint their home. They get it cleansed and ready, and that it's a place of your glory. Because, Lord, your glory will be a defense in these latter days. I believe that. And, Lord, we thank you. Lord, let this word go forth and change many lives. We bless you, and I thank you for it now. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.